I don't want to get paid to lose. I want to win! 90.7! Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please uh, for this afternoon's feature attraction. Alabama and Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I am Ben Flanagan, back from Atlanta to relieve my co-host of his first and possibly last board operating experience. Corey, normally when four of my favorite modern comedians are piled into one movie directed by a guy who gave us two of the best original comedies of the past 20 years, I would unequivocally clear my schedule and make way for what I would expect to be another addition to that lofty category. But when I saw the theatrical trailer for Dinner for Schmucks, you could say those expectations took a hit, as in they plummeted. Regardless of the presence of elite comic talents like Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, Jermaine Clement, and Zach Galifianakis, the movie just did not look funny at all. Directed by Jay Roach, who gave us great movies like Austin Powers and Meet the Parents, along with the not-so-great sequels of each of those, this is a remake of a French film called The Dinner Game from 1998 about wealthy people who invite bizarre schmucks to dinner to see who brings the weirdest dope of them all. Now you know how I feel about remakes, reboots, and sequels, especially when people like this thrust themselves into it when they're so capable of giving us fresh products like Anchorman and the 40-year-old version, both of which co-starred Rudd and Carell. But heading into last night's far too late screening of this, I bit my tongue, reserved judgment, hoping these poor trailers and TV spots weren't telling half the story. And I walked in with anticipation that Rudd, Carell, and the others would come through like they always do. So, Corey, were your low expectations greeted with a surprise, or were your high expectations shattered? I mean, it's certainly true that my expectations were very, very low. But I must admit that I was surprised by this. I, I don't love this movie, but I was surprised to find that for the majority of, you know, two hours, I found myself laughing pretty much nonstop, even if it was just at some very, very talented comedians making funny noises or, or goofy faces, which is pretty much what 45 minutes or so of this movie's comedy boils down to. Um, you know, I like this movie. I don't I don't think it's something that I'll ever revisit, but you know what, for, for a light comedy, for a fun time at the movies, and, uh, you know, with impossibly low expectations, I felt it delivered on those absolutely low, low expectations. Corey, I mean, I, I wrote a column for the Tuscaloosa News yesterday, or Tusk Magazine, uh, about this movie, right. speculating uh, that it probably would not be good based on what I'd seen, pretty much what I mentioned in my little intro there. Um, and I can say that I did reserve judgment, and I did walk into it hoping that this would be a good movie. Mm -hmm. And I swear to you, without any bias heading in or anything like that, I laughed one time. Wow. And I think that this is easily, easily the worst movie of 2010 so far. And I think it's probably the worst thing that any of these comedians have ever done in their careers so far. I think that this is just a bad movie with I, a 
with a terrible script. It's a bad, contrived script uh, that has no focus whatsoever. Right. That takes about an hour and 15 minutes or so to get to the dinner for schmucks that they speak of. And once they get there, nothing really happens worth revisiting, like you said. And it's over in the blink of an eye. And then they have to wrap up this so-called romance that they cooked up that is really the heart of the movie, if you want to call anything the heart of this movie. I mean, it's a romance about Paul Rudd and his girlfriend and, I guess, attempts at screwball comedy with all of these uh, miscommunication gags involving Steve Carell as this uh, foil to Paul Rudd's plans or hopes. And, Corey, I have to say, (coughs) it was painful, man. And, you know, the theater shared my experience, I'd say, for about the first 20 minutes. But as the movie went on, I don't know if they were hypnotized or what, but I started hearing lots of laughs. And I was just kind of looking around as they were laughing at these very basic and obvious things that Steve Carell's uh, doofus character was doing, sort of like a mixture of Michael Scott and maybe Andy from the 40-year-old version in some ways. Um, And I was just wondering, what are they getting that I'm not? I just don't think this Mm. is funny at all. You know, what what hinders the rewatchability for this movie is the fact that Steve Carell is not really playing a human being like anybody who would actually function. Mm-hmm. Um, Dinner for Schmucks is, for all intents and purposes, a live-action cartoon. But viewing it on those terms just as, like, incredibly broad comedy, it almost feels to me like a, like a throwback to, I don't know, to an old, like, mid-'90s Jay Roach movie. You know, people, like... The Apatow comedies have sort of moved away from broad farce and from, you know, the incredibly, like, silly slapstick that you get with this movie. And while I personally might prefer the Apatow movies, it's kind of interesting to see a movie like this released now, um, even if it's not completely successful. But as far as my experience goes, our theater was sort of puzzled by the first 20 minutes, even though I found myself giggling like a madman during the opening credit sequence which mm-hmm. is pretty wow i mean it's just I, I love i love steve carell's mouse creations which yeah but they're not steve carell's mouse creations right you know it's like you can't you can't really give steve carell the credit i know but you know, his character yeah, yeah. i know what you're saying okay yep. but i i too think that that was probably uh the most interesting part of this movie the opening credits it, it offered the sweetest moments and sort of foreshadowed Mm. I guess uh, like I said what could be I don't know sort of a pulse for this where you have Steve Carell obviously uh, depicted in this opening credit sequence as a lonely figure Uh um, you know who has hopes for maybe a relationship of any sort and I don't think that that was explored at all I mean like trying to engage this movie on any emotional level will result in failure because that i mean while that undercurrent is there it's not explored i mean Mm -hmm. like you said that's that's a that's a hindrance to this movie but for some reason i got past that and did laugh at the comedians making funny noises and funny faces Mm -hmm. and for some reason last night that was all i needed you know that's that's why i'm not going to rewatch this movie because like you said there's no substance to it there's nothing to sink your teeth into Mm -hmm. but seeing it once i mean i did laugh like a maniac 
at many times in this like movie. Like a maniac. Uh, the only time I laughed out loud, really, seriously, and I, I'm not even joking here, was when Zach Galifianakis makes his first appearance in this IRS agency right. where Steve Carell also works. And there's a moment where I think Paul Rudd makes Zach Galifianakis laugh. Uh-huh. And he just kind of goes on for 30 seconds with this, I guess, improv. Yeah, yeah. Or these different versions of a of this laugh. And that made me lose it. But beyond that, I, you know. Nothing? Nothing. Like, whenever he appeared on screen, I laughed. And I was like, all right, re- I'm ready to go. You know, I'm ready for the funny. Or even when Jermaine Clement, who I'm a big fan of, uh, and I think he's trying here. <laughs> and I think a, a lot of people are invested, except for maybe Paul Rudd, and we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, the script just isn't there. I mean, it's not. It's not a funny. I mean, it's not like an amazingly funny script. I think there are some good lines, but that's you know that's one thing I want to ask about. You know, Paul Rudd's playing straight straight man here. He doesn't really have much to do. Steve Carell is his character is just fundamentally too unrealistic for me to really get into mm-hmm. apart from some of the funny things he says and some of the situations he creates mm-hmm. which are funny to me but Jermaine Clement is awesome in this movie mm-hmm. I think he's hilarious I think like I mean I, I'd hesitate to like ask for a get him to the Greek style spinoff about this character but I loved that character mm-hmm. and I I mean it's enough for me to want like I mean I've wanted this since Flight of the Concords but I, I want him to be the lead in something mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. If if you told me going into this, and I, you know, I read a, a review or two that Jemaine Clement was going to be playing this extremely uh, self-absorbed, sex-crazed, highly popular uh, artist, then I would have said, okay, that sounds hilarious. Where do we start? And when we get there, you know, he he does add life to an otherwise completely dull movie because mm-hmm. I mean we're we're introduced to his character by Paul Rudd's uh, character and his girlfriend who just adds absolutely nothing to this movie. I'm sorry, this actress she's just like cast cast whatever uh, you know up and comer or fresh face you got. I mean I don't I, do, do you agree that I mean when when it when it turns out that this movie really does dedicate itself to uh, I guess uniting. Paul Rudd and this actress, or these two characters. I mean, whatever. Like I said, there's no... <laughs> but why t- why tell the story at all? Yeah, I, and it's, <laughs> it's just something for the plot to hinge on, I guess. Just to add a little conflict to Paul Rudd's personal life, instead of just the, oh, am I going to be mean to this guy by inviting him to this dinner, or am I not? Because, obviously, he is. But does the dinner... Okay, the movie's called Dinner for Schmucks, uh-huh. and it's advertised as, you know, the, these mean people who invite... Uh, who they would consider freaks to dinner just to entertain each other and themselves. Um, does the movie not completely lose sight of the dinner? Does it not take forever to get there? It does kind of lose sight of it, but I would say that I found enough enjoyment in what was going on before it to not really like mind that. Now, I'll, I'll agree that the movie's too long, mm-hmm. but I did, I mean, when they get to the dinner, it's pretty funny. I mean, just in, in broad slapstick style. Just the people who are there, the crazy things that happen. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna say like again that this is a great movie, but I, like, just the dinner scene alone has enough laughs. I would say to warrant a matinee screening or at least a DVD rental if you're not inclined to, you know, go out. Yeah, but do, uh, do, what, okay. 
it, it, it sounds like you're sort of forgiving this movie for abandoning whatever plot because that I guess isn't the mission. But I mean, there, there weren't, like, there wasn't like a strong through line of a plot to begin with. Well, I mean, you had first... an opportunity. You, you have this guy, uh, Paul Rudd, uh-huh. who is in line for this promotion so that he can uh, make his girlfriend happy, and to do that. Uh, he's going to have to go to this dinner to impress his bosses. And, uh, you know, to impress his bosses, he finds this guy, Steve Carell, this sort of hapless jerk who, um, you know, is a nice guy but will definitely entertain these these uh, mean people. And Steve, uh, Paul Rudd can take advantage of that, bring him, and he ends up doing a mean thing to a guy he learns or figures out to be not a bad guy after all and somebody he could get along with uh-huh. I, you know and, and, and there you have your conflict he, he makes Steve Carell feel bad and like you said Steve Carell he's not capable of feeling bad at all because he's not a human right as you mentioned he doesn't understand uh he doesn't understand when people are being mean I mean or, it's like it's like Steve Carell's playing an eight-year-old boy here mm-hmm. and as humorous as that is at times again it does really hinder the film particularly a late scene at the dinner where Paul Rudd gives him a pep, pep talk of sorts that I just found completely, I mean, even in a movie that had shunned realism to that point, I found that completely kind of ridiculous. Well, I just couldn't figure out if this movie's message, or if it even had a message. I think it did during the dinner when Steve uh-huh. Carell is sort of giving this presentation, uh, and you you have these cuts to Paul Rudd, who is giving off this vibe like you know what, I'm learning something here. Right, right. And it's like, okay, well, is this is this movie all of a sudden about being nice to people? You have to be nice to people. Uh, you know, they're not so bad after all. A guy like Steve Carell might have some substance. And I just thought that it was just too unfocused, man. And when we spend really the first hour where Carell and Rudd bump into each other, uh-huh. literally, and then all of a sudden they start hanging out. You know, and Rudd, I think, is just way too patient at first and willing to sort of open up to Carell's weirdo character. Right. I didn't quite buy into that. And now, look, that that is sort of a convention of screwball comedies of, you know, the 40s and yep. 50s. Yep. And I can accept it if it's likable and, and I, or believable to some extent. But I just found nothing here. And when you have Paul Rudd wanting to know the address of a ranch of Jermaine Clement's artist character so he can go find his girlfriend. And Steve Carell says, hey, I work for the IRS. We can look at his tax returns to find his address or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, really, writers? That is what you came up with to find this guy's address or to to move this plot, this so-called plot, forward? And it just put me in a bad mood just that these people bought into this script and obviously I don't think made any effort to sort of mold it into something that speaks more to their talents. You know, I feel the same way about this movie as I do about everything like Will Arnett has been in. Um, It's obviously beneath them, but because they're in it, I'm inclined to find some level of enjoyment in it. I mean, like, this movie is for me, virtually indistinguishable from something like The Brother Solomon, which has a bunch of, like, really talented comedians in it, and it's just nonsense. Yeah, but, okay, here, here's where I disagree about that. With The Brother Solomon, you have 
Will Forte and Will Arnett, who are obviously friends mm -hmm. uh, in real life, obviously, um, probably through the Amy Poehler connection. But Will Forte wrote that. Right. And that is as pure a Will Forte written movie in John Solomon, too, who co-wrote it, and McGruber this past, this past summer or this year. And I just, to me, with that, it feels like this is a product of those you see on screen, and they completely latched onto the material, and this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of comedy they want to bring to the table. Uh -huh. And I feel like with, the, with Dinner for Schmucks, you have this script that Jay Roach or the studio happened upon and pitched to stars like Rudd and Carell, and they basically said, all right, I'll do it if the money's right. Let's get going. And I just don't think that this... I, there was nothing in the movie where I thought, okay, that's the Rudd I love, or that's the Carell that I love. I just right. thought that they were doing these... I just thought they were reading the lines, man. And, and Rudd... And let's talk about him, Corey. Rudd, this is, this is a guy who is talented. Yep. And this is a guy who I really want to get a movie of his own. You know, uh, to where, you know, he's the lead guy instead of this scene stealer in these Apatow productions. And he came close. You know, I, I would say Role Models sort of falls into that category. Oh, man, Role Models is awesome. Yeah, it's great. And that, you know, to me, that's Paul Rudd doing his thing. But here he's just a completely straight man. Right. Who doesn't, you know, there's some, there, oh, and I love you, man, too. I'm sorry I'm getting off track, but I love you, man. Another good example. Um, but there are just these Ruddisms, I guess, sprinkled throughout but you just don't get him at the, the, the volume that you do those other movies. And I was bored by his performance. He doesn't really add anything because that character doesn't have anything to do. And that didn't bother you? No, it did. I mean, yeah, no, that totally bothered me. I, I'm, I, but again, I mean, I guess whatever my mood was last night, all I needed just... was comedians making funny faces and, <laughs> and making funny noises. You know, I'm not going to rush out and see this again today, but like for two hours last night... I laughed, and really, I don't know what else to well, say about I, it. I mean, it's not its not like, you know, like I said, I think it is a low point for Paul Rudd and Steve Carell, though I haven't seen Despicable Me, so I can't really judge Steve Carell's full filmography. Right. Um, it just didn't offend you. It just didn't offend me. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it's I, I found enough to laugh at, and it's perfectly, it's a perfectly harmless studio comedy. It doesn't have the heart of most of their other studio comedies and and you know i i think that paul rudd and steve carell have honestly set the bar a little high for themselves yeah so probably. they can't just slum it in something like this without people you know getting angry I don't but know. i just didn't get angry it makes me angry because i think that they're they're beyond slumming it at this point and right you know they they if this is going to be one of the big summer releases like while i was watching this that's all i could really think about this right. is what the studio picked to release on july 30th this is what they think audiences are going to file into. This is what they want to compete with Inception <laughs> with? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I don't know when they could have released this movie, yeah, to be honest. So, but spring. Drop it in the sure. spring, man. But that's where it belongs. As far as family or as far as studio comedies go, I think next week we'll we'll have a little bit more to celebrate and talk about. At least I'm hoping so. Me too. Uh, I've really got high hopes for that. Yeah, well... Oh God! Let, let's just let's just move <laughs> all on. All right, all right. Dinner for Schmucks. Uh, if Ben hasn't totally put you off of it, is playing nationwide and at the Cobb Hollywood 16 in Tuscaloosa. When we come back, I'll fill you in on a few theatrical releases that haven't quite made it to Tuscaloosa, 
And sorry, but I'm not talking about Nick Saban's game changer, but stick around anyway. This is Aspect Radio. You probably heard we ain't in the prisoner taking business. We in the killing Nazi business. And cousin businesses are booming. 90.7. Back on Aspect Radio with Corey Kraft, I am Ben Flanagan, and what you're hearing is not the score for any of the films we're about to talk about. <laughs> Corey, Tuscaloosa might get every mainstream studio tentpole release under the sun, but sometimes indie titles seem to fall through the cracks. Now, you made the short drive to Birmingham these past couple of weeks to see a few that have yet to come our way, so fill us in. Yeah, uh, two weeks ago I saw Cyrus, the new film from the Duplass brothers, uh, and yesterday I saw The Kids Are All Right, uh, the new film from director Lisa Cholodenko, uh, starring Julianne Moore, um, Annette Benning, and Mark Ruffalo. Um, well, I guess I'll start with Cyrus, which has now left the uh, Vestavia Hills rave, unfortunately. Um, kind of a kind of a little, mostly improvised comedy. If you're not familiar with the Duplass brothers, who uh, are sort of directors in the so-called mumblecore movement uh, who made uh, films The Puffy Chair and Baghead. Pioneers of that movie. Sure, yeah. yeah. Mark um, and Jay, right? That's right. And um, and Mark is, is an actor in um, his own films, well, some of them, I think, and uh, movies like uh, Noah Baumbach's Greenberg. Um, He's in Greenberg? He is. I didn't know that. He has a small role in I know Greenberg. he was in, you know, what people consider to be one of the all-time great Mumblecore movies from last year is Hump Day, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's so. great in Hump Day. Hump Day's a lot of fun. But um, Cyrus is, I suppose, what you could call a Mumblecore-style movie um, that uses Hollywood A-list actors. Uh, it stars John C. Riley, Jonah Hill, and Marissa Tomei, and Catherine Keener, actually, in a, in a smaller role. Uh, John C. Riley plays a man named John, who's kind of a sad sack after his ex-wife, played by Catherine Keener, divorced him a little more, uh, a little under a decade ago. Uh, he hasn't really met anybody, and at the urging of his ex-wife and her new fiance, he goes to a party where he meets a woman named Molly, played by Marissa Tomei. They start a relationship, uh, but what John doesn't realize is that Molly has a very complicated relationship with her. 20-year-old, 21-year-old son, played by Jonah Hill, whose name is Cyrus, which is where the film gets its title. Um, Cyrus, in the tradition of the Duplass Brothers films, is not laugh-out-loud funny, but it is a really interesting character study that does have funny moments. Um, John C. Riley's very good. Jonah Hill is probably the best we've ever seen him in a, in a film. And, you know, I don't love this movie, but there is there is enough insight enough interesting performance from from the three leads and from Catherine Keener um, to a lesser extent. She's not really in the movie that much th- uh, to recommend this movie. Um, though I fear it's marketed like something like uh, Step Brothers. So unsuspecting audiences should know this is in no way like that movie. This is not a broad comedy. Yeah, when you say this is the best we've ever seen Jonah Hill, that bar was not extremely high. Right. Um, but... but- 
let me ask you this: when when you describe the plot of this movie, and you know, I I might add to that, having seen the trailer, I haven't seen mm-hmm. this movie yet, and I really want to. Um, the plot, I guess, would be uh, single man starts dating single mother, and her son isn't as into that idea as they are, right. and he, the son, and the man are at odds for the rest of the movie. Um, sounds like Mr. Woodcock to me. Well, it, it kind of does, but the thing is, whereas you, your average studio comedy like Mr. Woodcock might take a broad approach to this, Cyrus really attempts to get to the core of who these people are and why they're behaving this way. Um, a, a significant part of the movie is John and Cyrus at odds, but it resolves itself in a way that is unexpected and is fresher and more realistic. I, I think the ending makes the movie... Um, and I, you know, we, I can't really talk too much about that, but it goes into a lot more honest places than than a studio movie would, uh, which I found refreshing. Now, again, I think this movie is a little too shaggy for its own good, um, and it does kind of meander uh, at points. But you know, when it comes down to it, the acting here is strong enough, and it's it's strong enough to overcome uh, that sort of. I don't know, loose plot. Um, I mean, Marissa Tomei is excellent. Um, and uh, it, it's a really, I mean, it's a really interesting relationship movie that gets, it, it really tries to get to the core of why these people are the way they are. And, and so you felt like all of these actors were up to the challenge that the Duplass brothers sort of presented them with this improvisational environment? Yeah. Yeah, I really do. Uh, you know, John C. Riley and Jonah Hill are, are no strangers to right. that technique, but... Um, but Marissa Tomei does really acquit herself well. And, um, and it seems like Catherine Keener would, that would just be kind of a walk in the park for yeah, her. Yeah. yeah. Catherine Keener can do anything at this point. I'm well, convinced. <coughs> you know, I wish it would come to Tuscaloosa. You know, I, I ha- I've had an opportunity here or there to go watch it in mm-hmm. Birmingham or Atlanta, and then I've uh, opted to go see Inception instead uh, multiple times. But I, I will see Cyrus uh, soon enough. But you, you had mentioned that Winter's Bone had also come to. Uh, Birmingham. Well, that opens next week. Next week, yeah. okay. So we're gonna wait on that one, the uh, Sundance Darling, right? I guess. But the kids are all right. Did open in Birmingham. Yeah, that opened yesterday. This is a movie that I've heard a lot of buzz about. It's getting mm-hmm. good reviews pretty much all around. Making and, pretty good money. Yeah, know, for being in, in limited release up to yesterday. Yeah, yeah, and you know I was gonna mention that Focus Fe- Features is actually gonna expand it to about 850 screens uh-huh. soon, and uh, hopefully Tuscaloosa gets one of those. Well, I think that might have been yesterday's oh, really? expansion. Because it's playing on two screens in Birmingham. Two screens? Yeah. You mean like two different theaters? Yeah, Summit and um, and the Ray Vestavia. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. well, I guess, you know, maybe Tuscaloosa fell short. Maybe they'll expand it again, because yeah. this is a crowd pleaser. You know, it's an untraditional crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. But um, and you talk about honesty, too, right? Right. Isn't this sort of, a, you know, from what I've heard, this is a very honest portrayal of uh, honest characters, just right. in terms of, uh, I, I guess, sex as a theme. Sure. In movies and, and you know people people make these comparisons not just because of Annette Benning's presence but to sort of maybe the antithesis to American Beauty in a way whereas that is yeah. kind of like a mainstream yeah, I can see that. depiction of the American family and now you have this modern sort of um, I don't know more independent minded portrayal of the modern American family right and for you know not you know, a not solicited plug at all. Mm-hmm. After you see this film, I do recommend you listen to our friends at Film Spotting, uh, their review podcast of this film because they they make some really interesting points. 
uh, and it's a very good discussion. Uh, but the the kids are all right if you don't know. Uh, features Annette Benning and Julianne Moore as as a couple who have raised two children. Uh, an 18 year old played by uh, Mia Vasikovska, I, I think that's how you pronounce her name, and a 15 year old played by Josh Hutcherson. Um, both children were conceived from the same sperm donor, uh, and when the uh, the young girl turns 18, she decides to contact that donor, who is played by Mark Ruffalo. And the film follows the conflict of Mark Ruffalo's presence and what that brings to this family. Annette Benning sort of plays this control freak who spent a lot of time raising this family and raising this family how she saw fit, and the presence of this overtly masculine presence played by Mark Ruffalo sort of uh, throws it for a loop and it affects the children in different ways too um, but this is you know it's apples and oranges but um, you know as far as this and Inception but this is one of my favorites of the year if not my favorite film of the year so far one of the first times I've heard Mark Ruffalo being described as overtly masculine oh man no you wouldn't believe it no, I mean, this is I'm just kidding. I love Mark Ruffalo. I think yeah. he's a great actor, and what I'm hearing is that this is some of the best work he's done. Yeah, I, I think this is probably one of his better performances since uh, You Can Count On Me. Yeah, and I've been really following this guy since that movie, yeah. his debut, I guess you could call it, and I thought that he was he was ready to explode. Well, the five leads in this movie are perfect, and Julianne Moore does her best work in a long time. Uh, Annette Benning is just stunning, and... Um, you know, th this movie really explores, again, it's like Cyrus. It's a character study that really gets to the core of who these people are and why they are the way they are, um, particularly with Julianne Moore and Mark Ruffalo, who I feel are probably the focal point of this film. Uh, Julianne Moore plays Annette Benning's partner, who's a little more flighty, um, a little less responsible than, uh, than the serious doctor that Annette Benning plays. And, and, you know, like I said, Mark Ruffalo is this man who enters their life. Um, and, I mean, the conflict here is just so interesting because, you know, obviously none of these people are overtly villainous. There are no bad guys here, but just to see them... I mean, it, it, the film is so empathetic with all of them. It builds them up so that you care about each of these people and to see them, you know, fight. It's almost like seeing members of your family fight in the end. Um, I really can't speak highly enough about this movie and so the girl the mia wasikowska or yeah. whatever that's alice from alice in wonderland that's right, right. yeah okay. I, I did forget to mention that and josh hutcherson is a, is a young actor who's been in a lot of things firehouse dog oh man no i didn't see that one um but he's great you know she's great the kids you know to a certain point uh in spite of the title saying they're all right sort of do fade to the background uh for the uh, drama that the adults have to go through, but um, but I mean, what they do, I, it, it's it's just a fun movie. It's just a fun, funny movie. Uh, I don't know if you saw Lisa Cholodanko's previous film, uh, which I think was 2003, uh, Laurel Canyon. 2002, yeah, and uh, you know I was interested in that because I mean. I had an interest in Christian Bale, uh -huh. uh, you know, post-American Psycho and his previous work, uh, and Francis McDormand, of yeah. course. What did, what did you think about that movie? Uh, it put me to sleep. Really? Um, sort I, of like I, I loved it. Sort of like parts of Dinner for Schmucks last night. Oh, wow. I'll, I'll say that it is better than Dinner for Schmucks. And I, you know, I, I had heard of High Art uh, mm -hmm. from 1998, back when it came out, when 
you know, indie indie movies would sort of get the attention, extra attention, I guess, as Miramax and other smaller studios were really pushing them. Right. Um, but no, I, I haven't seen anything other than Laurel Canyon, and I see that she has directed an episode of Six Feet Under and right. The L Word and Hung, just kind of looking at her um, filmography here. And so you kind of get a sense of what material Choladinko um, fancies. Right. Uh, I- but look, I, yeah, I think this movie does look good. And, you know, before anybody starts calling it this year's Little Miss Sunshine. No, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, uh, I think that it's, you know, <laughs> it's important. I don't know. I, those kinds of labels bother me. In, well, I mean, they're nothing alike, yeah, first of all. Well, you, but, you, but, and you also see why people do that. Right. You know, just because it happens to be this... It's the feel-good indie of the yeah, summer. indie comedy about a dysfunctional family. You know, ne- next year something will be this year's The Kids Are All Right. You know, I hope so. Uh, yeah, and I, I hope to be, see this movie too. Yeah, so. um, there is one more movie that we could talk about that um, is not playing in Birmingham either, but it is on demand for those who have uh, Charter or Comcast or both actually. Um, but I, uh, it's uh, Todd Salon's new movie, uh, Life During Wartime, which um, I, I saw the other day. Uh, it's it's sort of a quasi sequel to happiness in that it does follow the characters from happiness which is another 1998 indie like you were talking about they got a lot of attention some of it extraordinarily <laughs> negative attention happiness yeah happiness was considered one of the best movies of that year yeah but people who who then saw it based on the recommendation of these critics right I'm well sure. mainstream audiences right. i'm sure yeah, had an is, adverse reaction this is to not <laughs> and and i know i know uh, plenty of people who uh, who don't really care for happiness. Uh, to be honest, it's not my favorite Todd Salons movie. But uh, but Life During Wartime is a sequel to Happiness in that it follows the same characters, but it has completely recast them, mm-hmm. um, much like Salons did with his uh, 2004 film Palindromes, in which the central character is played by a different actress in each segment of that movie. Mm-hmm. Now, I really like Todd Salons. Um, I think Welcome to the Dollhouse is is awesome. I, I like his film storytelling. I think happiness is good, you know, for what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not again. I have a measured reaction to that movie because yeah. it is so in your face. I think most so, people would probably consider that Salon's uh, masterpiece. I I can't come around to that line of thought. But. Yeah, I you know I, I am a fan of his too. And you know my brother Graham and Matt Scalici and I had this incredible opportunity back when uh, Palindromes was screened in Birmingham. Uh, I, I was there. Yeah, and he came yeah. and spoke, you know, and yeah. uh, we got about 40 minutes of FaceTime with Salons uh, at this little after party. Yeah, I didn't go to the after party. Yeah, at but, this, um, like, hotel or whatever, and this is really, I mean, about as unusual of a guy as you would think he would be, yeah. but, I mean, he, you know, he gets it. He's a good, he's a great, I'll say he's a great filmmaker. He, he always brings something new and original to the table, and, you know, if we can live in a world where happiness gets a sequel... <laughs> yeah. Then I yeah. guess I'm okay with that. But you know, to the film itself, you know, it. I, I'm happy to say that it does live up to his film. So you've watched it. Yeah. Okay. And it's awesome. Do you know who plays? Uh, can you kind of help me uh-huh. understand who plays which roles? Yeah. From yeah. The previous um, film. Shirley Henderson, Henderson takes over from Jane Addams. Mm-hmm. Um, Ali Sheedy takes over for Laura Flynn Boyle, though that character is not really in the movie very much. Mm-hmm. Allison Janney takes over from uh, Cynthia Stevenson. Uh, Chiron Hines takes over for, for Dylan Baker. And then uh, Michael K. Williams from The Wire takes over for Philip Seymour Hoffman, which is pretty awesome. Uh, unexpected casting. And then in the smaller roles, 
they even bring back uh, John Lovitz's character, <laughs> wow. uh, who is now played by Paul Rubens. Wow. And um, oh gosh. Oh, that you know, you gotta hand it to Happiness at least for that opening scene with yeah. John Lovitz. Well, wait till you see the opening scene of Life During Wartime mm -hmm. because it is crafted specifically mm -hmm. to remind viewers of that scene in in fun ways, uh, to sort of put them off balance, I guess. Now, Life During Wartime uh, picks up, I guess like a decade after happiness whatever hmm. probably 12 years after happiness to follow these characters um once again uh, at despairing points in their lives uh the character of joy played here by shirley henderson is now married to alan played here by michael k williams um allison janney's character who I, I think her name is trish uh who was married to dylan baker's pedophile character in happiness has obviously divorced him because he is in prison mm -hmm. uh, and relocated to Florida uh, with her children and then um, Dylan Baker's pedophile character now played by Sharon Hines is released from prison hoping to salvage his life somewhat um, the, I mean the movie I, I will say is a lot less confrontational than happiness it's a lot less a little more toned down a little more toned down yeah um, but it speaks to, I guess, the film's central themes, which Salons has said is, is this idea of forgiveness and moving past the mistakes of the past. So that makes sense that it would be toned down from happiness because it's all about the characters almost trying to atone for what they did in happiness to, to one another. Well, I'll say that just kind of thinking back on happiness and watching it for the first time, that climactic scene between Dylan Baker and his son, uh. <laughs> you know, like you said, audiences... It, Every single individual is going to see that differently, you yeah. know, and, if, and have a reaction to that differently. And uh, it really, gosh, it'll, it'll, it'll uh, change the mood of the room if yeah, you're watching that's it with for friends. Sure. I did watch it with friends yeah. the first time I saw it, and, and I was just kind <laughs> of so, I, that movie makes me so profoundly uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, Life During Wartime has moments like that uh, as well. I mean, you'd expect that from Todd Salons, but, but it is worth watching on demand um, if you like Tatsalon's movies. I don't know if I would recommend going into this not having seen Happiness. Not that I'm recommending you go out and rent Happiness exactly, because yeah. you got to steal yourself for that one. But if you, I mean, there are also some crossovers which I don't really want to spoil mm -hmm. with uh, his other movies. He sort of oh, built cool. um, this universe, you know, throughout his movies. So are we are we thinking uh, an appearance by Heather Matarazzo here? Well, or, I but mean, but uh, see, they're recast. Oh, okay. So, the, so the, uh, um, actually, Dawn. It, it's not Dawn because Dawn All right, well, in, in Palindromes, you know, killed herself apparently. Oh well, spoiler for the people out there who are it's in the, it's the first who, who it's are, the first five minutes who are desperate to see Palindromes. Well, you yeah, know? okay. If you're desperate to see Palindromes, I apologize, but that is literally in the first five well, minutes um, of the movie. Yeah, and it's a shame that and uh, we could talk about Todd Solons all day yeah. long, uh, but that's true. It's a shame that Jane Adams had to be replaced because I think if Solons ever had a muse. It should be Jane Addams right. because she just completely her her style and talents completely fit this these themes, uh, you know. And I think that we talked about Hung earlier. That character is kind of an extension of her character in Happiness to me. Uh -huh. It's easily the best part of that show, which I haven't watched since like the sixth episode of it. Yeah, uh, and also Little Children too. She's in that. Oh man, yeah, she she's, goes. She's got that one scene or those two scenes. 
that are she goes on a date with Jackie yeah. Earl Haley. Uh, I mean, it's like Jane Adams. What are you doing? You right. know, uh, she puts herself through the ringer. That's yeah. for sure. So yeah, but I definitely do want to see that. I mean, as far as cast members in this movie, I you know <laughs> obviously I think Happiness can be said to have the better cast, uh, but Allison Janney, man, like. I found myself wondering why she hasn't done this before, because she's a perfect fit. Well, because she was, movie. she was, you know, contributing to Lost in a way that had never been uh, done before. Man, I don't even uh, want to talk. About that. <laughs> well, that's a horrible thing. Well, Corey, uh, there is one headline that stuck out before we take a break to me this week that interests me as a fan of film and an Alabamian. Precious director Lee Daniels has been developing a civil rights historical drama called Selma that he hoped to shoot in Alabama in that town uh, but he's having trouble finding the necessary funding to make that happen so in the meantime he's going to have to put that on hold unfortunately I hope he does get that made yeah. uh, but Deadline Hollywood reports that Daniels has now closed a deal with Sony Pictures Entertainment to rewrite and direct The Butler which is a drama based on a man named Eugene Allen who was a servant in the White House for over 34 years and he worked for eight presidents and Daniels is reportedly asking Denzel Washington to star um what about that? Would you see that? I, yeah. I think that sounds pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Uh, that script has been floating around for a while, apparently. Um, uh, it, it's had a lot of buzz behind it, the property, uh, and attaching Lee Daniels to it um, with the intent to, for him to rewrite it and, uh, and direct it. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for that. Though, I, I must admit, Selma sounded awesome. Yeah, it really with, did. With the attached cast, uh, which included Hugh Jackman and Robert De Niro, I believe. Yeah. And as a passion project of his, too, this yeah. guy that I thought made one of the best movies of last year, uh, a movie that, to me, still holds up. And I think he really should have gotten more consideration for Best Director. I mm -hmm. think it should have been, you know, it already was a five-horse race, I guess. It was right. a strong category. It was a strong category. Uh, last year. But really, Lee Daniels, to me, did some of the best directing with the cast that he had. There's, there's, no, there's no debating that. Yeah. So, uh, look forward to whatever this guy has next. Yeah, the um, butler sounds great, yeah, though. It um, does. Denzel Washington in that role. I mean, you can't go wrong with that, right? No, I think uh, if, if, if this happens or if Selma even happened, we would see uh, Mr. Daniels back in the Kodak Theater, uh, unless, you know, we have another soloist on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I like that I know you a did. lot. I know you did. But let's take one last break, and we'll come back with some DVD picks and some announcements, so please do stay tuned. You think you're too cool for school, but I got a newsflash for you, Walter Cronkite. You aren't. Money point seven. Back on Aspect Radio. Time for some DVD picks. Corey? Well, last week was kind of a dud, um... So I, I don't really want to speak too much about Clash of the Titans, which is exactly the sort of nonsense you'd expect it to be, or Repo Men, which is just a tonal mishmash. Well, at least you didn't have to watch Clash of the Titans in 3D. Man, I did see it in theaters, but I did see it in 2D, so yeah. uh, ugh, I can't even <laughs> picture that. I'm glad I didn't pay you know the extra money for that experience, though I'm sure it would have been memorable. Um, but next week uh, is a pretty stacked release week, um, and it sees the release of a controversial title, for us at least, uh, Matthew Vaughn's Kick-Ass, which we had a nice little debate about a couple months ago upon theatrical release. I'm looking forward uh, to checking that out again to see if my adverse reaction to that in theaters was, uh, I don't know, as a result of some of whatever baggage I brought in with me that day, because that movie is very well-liked within... 
the geek community, of which I consider myself a part, and um, I didn't care for it one bit, so I'm interested to revisit that. Also, Roman Polanski's excellent The Ghost Rider comes out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD on Tuesday. I really want to rewatch that just because it's a lot of fun. It's a fun, great little thriller um, with uh, with a great performance from Ewan McGregor, Olivia Williams, and Pierce Brosnan. Uh, lots of political intrigue. So if you can get past uh, Roman Polanski's name being in the credits, check it out. That should, I mean, but I don't know. I guess Roman Polanski's name in the credits has sort of attracted me to movies, just yeah. given that he's a great filmmaker, has been in the past, but I can understand why these right. days, you know, in, in days since. His crime, uh, most people wouldn't be, but uh, I do enjoy a lot of his movies. Well, and, and this is this is a lot of fun. It well, really is. I, ho- I very, hope it's a return to form. Very well-crafted thriller. Also on Blu-ray and DVD on Tuesday, a movie that I haven't seen yet, but that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the French language film A Prophet, which uh, was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards last year and was a heavy favorite for it. Uh, I think it won a bunch of awards at Cannes last year, but I don't remember exactly which ones those were. Yeah, you know, The White Ribbon, I guess, was probably the most popular out of the nominees that Mm -hmm. year or last year, but I I really thought that A Prophet was carrying the most, uh, I don't know, uh, momentum going into the Oscars, uh-huh. and I really thought that it was the sure bet to win it. And that movie actually played at the uh, at the, at the Banner House That's right. movie series. All three of the contenders there, Secret, yeah, of their eye, Secret of Their Eyes and White Ribbon, all three of them did. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, I do want to see A Prophet, too. It's now, it sounds awesome. I'm pumped. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's Tuesday. Also, I, I do want to take a minute to go back a couple weeks and talk about something that I missed uh, when it was up, but that I re or that I finally got the chance to see and, and loved. Uh, it's uh, Bong Joon-ho's Korean murder mystery, Mother, which um, was South Korea's official submission to the Foreign Language Film Committee at the Oscars last year. I don't think it got a nomination, uh, but is totally, totally terrific. Right, um, and probably. he directed The Host, right? Yes, it's the director of The Host and Memories of Murder. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an unusual murder mystery uh, with a lot of humor and a lot. It goes places you wouldn't expect, but I think I think this is a terrific movie. It's probably one of my favorites of 2010 now as well. I'd wish that the Bama series had gotten that. I really wanted uh, to, you know, for them to bring it here. I mean, they they got what they got. They did a good job. Yeah, uh, I can live without it. Uh, but yeah, I definitely have to look look at that on DVD uh, pretty soon. But is, does that do it for you? That does it for me. Well, right now, I've got a Bug's Life on Blu-ray. Nice. Yeah, I haven't seen that since the theater. Oh, and wow. it's kind of like I'm getting to watch a new Pixar movie in a way. Yeah. Because uh, I haven't seen it since, gosh, what was it, like 98? That was 98. Yeah. yeah. So, wow, 12 years since I've seen that. So I can't wait to watch that. Dave Foley as the uh, star, right? He's That's the, right. He's, he's the, the lead The lead ant. ant. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, always rem- I remember back when that, that was kind of like a Dante's Peak volcano situation where With you the, had ants. Yep. And that sort of Woody Allen. So it's like a Woody Allen animated movie. Uh, with Sylvester Stallone yeah. as his best friend. Yeah, I like Ants. Yeah, it's not bad. It's good. But I remember yeah. preferring A Bug's Life still uh, back when those came out. I probably do, too. Yeah, so I can't wait. Um, Tess just finished the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo book, so I think we're going to check that DVD out it's soon. It's a good film. I've got the book. I haven't um, I haven't read it yet. But uh, hopefully 
I'll get the chance to see uh, the girl who played with fire, which is the second film. Yeah, um, she just picked that book up. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's playing in Atlanta right now, and I think I'm gonna be making a trip there in the next couple weeks. So hopefully, while I'm there, I can check that out. And maybe a couple others that are playing there. Yeah, um, and I think that you're about to loan me a DVD. That's right. Uh, I've got you uh, Greenberg uh, here. Sweet. On yeah. Blu-ray. We're getting ready to do our best of 2010 so far show and i've got a lot of work to do um you know the the titles that you mentioned before the kids are all right and um (coughs) the other one cyrus you know i want to see that and even winter's bone and definitely greenberg probably tonight or this weekend sometime uh, to help me to help me prepare for that you're way more prepared for that uh, than i am right now but moving on Opening nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16 this week, Dinner for Schmucks, which we reviewed, starring Paul Rudd and Steve Carell, among others. Charlie St. Cloud with Zac Efron. Cats and Dogs, The Revenge of Kitty Galore uh, in both 3D and 2D. I saw Cats and Dogs at the theater. Did the you? The first one. Yeah, I was wow. really looking forward to it because <laughs> I thought that damn white cat was hilarious in the trailers, you know, and uh, it was horrible, just so bad. And what makes me even matter about this movie is that it's another colon title. Yeah. There, did we really need to know that it was the revenge of Kitty Galore? I guess so. Uh, and people, really, you still have time. Inception and Toy Story 3 are still in theaters. That's right. Or, and, you know, if you can't make the drive to Birmingham to see the kids are all right, those will uh, do you well. Though... Cats and Dogs makes me angry just for being anti-cat propaganda. Yeah, seriously, and you're a cat guy. I'm a cat guy. Yeah, I like my cats. <laughs> uh, now, if you have any feedback, you can email us at 90.7movies at gmail.com. If you feel we've missed something or you have any suggestions as to films we can review or topics we can discuss, please do email us. You can also follow us on Twitter at aspectradio or twitter.com slash aspectradio. And, of course, download this and other episodes of the show on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com. Tumblr spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Yes, and do not forget to visit our friend Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com, where you'll find some cool podcasts and a really fun blog. And you can catch my and Corey's columns in Tusk Magazine, found in every Friday edition of the Tuscaloosa News. Until next week. For Corey Kraft, I am Ben Flanagan. This is Aspect Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going home now. I apologize for what I said. I hope you can forget it, but I'm going home right now.